So I want to share a a word with you this morning. Uh, We're continuing in the series called Where Are You? And it's a look at uh, Genesis chapter 3 and and kind of dealing with Adam and Eve and some of the things that took place uh, in the garden uh, post-creation where Adam and Eve were living in this beautiful, perfect, uh, just uh, incredible environment. And some of the unfortunate things that took place in that place. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to title this, uh, Why Are You Hiding? Why Are You Hiding? You know, as we were putting some of these thoughts together, me, Pastor Dave, and Pastor Jordan, uh, we were were kind of talking through some of the series and some of the things we felt like we wanted to communicate with everybody. Uh, And and one of the taglines we kind of played around with for a while is, you can run, but you can't hide, right? And how many of you have ever played uh, the classic game? And I feel like everybody in the world at some point or another has played this game, but you've played hide and seek at one point, right? So we had this student when I was in uh, youth ministry in Kentucky, and he was a, uh, if there is a professional version of this, he would consider himself a professional hide and seeker, right? So uh, now bear in mind, I was 23 at the time. And uh, if you know anything about youth pastors in their early 20s, we operate from the standpoint of asking for forgiveness rather than permission, That's just how we do things. And so I had this all-night event at our church, and we decided to play hide-and-seek. And he went out, and there was a stairwell that led you down to our fellowship hall-type area where we did youth ministry. And... He got up, he, he moved the, the recessed lighting, and he got up into the, the kind of ceiling attic space, and he laid down uh, and proceeded just to hide. And like 30 minutes went by, we couldn't find him. 45 minutes went by. Like, I'm starting to freak out. Like, I've lost a teenager, right? And I'm like, do I need to call his parents? Like, do I need to alert somebody that, that he's disappeared from us? And it was this just kind of this high, like, stress moment. And the only way we found him is because he, he shifted his body weight and he actually fell through the ceiling. <laughs> Luckily, he was not hurt. Uh, but he did do a nasty number on uh, the light up there and. The first church I worked at, uh, again, bear in mind, I was 22, 23 at the time. Um, I was slightly intimidated by our lead pastor, uh, who happens to be my spiritual father. Um, And so I'm like freaking out, wondering, how can I fix this so that I don't ever have to, you know, communicate that uh, we broke something. So we like get all these zip ties and we're like zip tying this light. And it's one of those like, those tube lights, so it's a pretty big thing, and we're zip-tying it up there and, like, hoping that, like, Sunday comes and it, it doesn't fall on anybody's head because you don't want to be the guy that has a light fall on somebody's head. Like, that's probably one that you can't walk back, right? Like, hey, I'm sorry. That's not going to fix that. And so we got it all zip-tied, and he comes in on Sunday, and he was an extremely meticulous man. He looked at that light, and he said, he, he came in from me and said, what did you do? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he, then he proceeded to show me, and I was like, well, look, Devin, the youth group student, uh, fell through it. And he looks at me and said, so in, in my mind, what I'm doing is I'm communicating to him that this is not my fault. And he's like, well, now, wait a second. Aren't you the youth pastor? I said, well, yes, I am. You hired me. <laughs> He said, isn't it your event? I said, well, yes, actually, as a matter of fact, it was. He said, so this is really your fault. I said, I guess it is. <laughs> Let's pray together about it and have church. <laughs> Thankfully, that's what we did. But that's kind of the themes I want to talk to you about this morning. There's this idea of what happens from the standpoint of our sin and how we reconcile that sin to God. Because if, we're, if, if we understand anything about the nature of God as one, he is a just God, right? He doesn't like sin. He, he has a standard of holiness. And anytime we sin, we fall short of that standard. And what it does is it creates this separation between us and him. But however, through scripture, we discover that there are remedies that take place in God's word to help us alleviate the curse of sin uh, that pops up from time to time. And I want to read to you the account in Genesis chapter 3. 
if my Bible app will cooperate with me, technology, there we go. Maybe, there we go. Beginning in verse 1, we discover what most Bibles caption as the fall. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, you may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Verse 4 says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit, uh, that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, that must be some impressive looking fruit if she saw all that just from looking at it. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man, and he said, Where are you? Verse 10 says, He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid... Because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Verse 12 said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, and he goes on to lay out the consequences of their decision. See, we discover in this story, this 14-verse story, if you will, the first recorded sin of Scripture. And as we look to break down this story, what I want you to understand is that everything that Adam and Eve go through in this particular incident are things that we go through regularly as it pertains to how we deal with the sin of our life, okay? See, in Eve, and even to some extent Adam, as the enemy approached with conversation, he started incorporating layers of deception into her thinking. Understand, when the enemy attacks our life, his aim is to attack us here so that we change our view of how we perceive God and the standard of God's word. So when he comes at us with an argument that is contradictory to God's word, as a believer, we have a responsibility to pull that down, hold it up to the standard that is created through scripture, and then either apply it or in 99 to 100% of the time, especially when it's from the enemy, remove it so that we can walk in a level of holiness that honors God with our lives. Does that make sense? So as a believer, you can't, we can't always go around and blame the enemy for the attack because scripture gives us so much insight into how he attacks us. And once we become aware of something, guess what? We become accountable and responsible to what we do with that information. So when the enemy comes and he throws something at you like you're not good enough, like, you're never going to make it. Why don't you just give up? Why don't you just give in? Why don't you just sin this way? Why don't you just do that? Why don't you step back into addiction? Why don't you walk away from your family? All of these things that come through our minds that we think we just thought of, all day long the enemy's like, I'm throwing these darts at you in hopes that one of them will catch you and you'll follow through on it. Because at the end of the day, what he's realized is that he can't get you uh, to give up salvation. So what he wants to do is he wants to to separate you from God and he wants to rob you of your purpose and destiny while you walk the earth because he knows he can't get you so he'll stop you from helping bring other people to Jesus and he'll take your testimony because of it and that's his plan in your life so when that stuff happens 
You have to remove it. You have to take captive of it and you have to get rid of it because it doesn't line up with the authority that is in God's word. Now, Eve did not do that in this particular story and Adam did not do that in this particular story. There was this drawing of the forbidden in their life. It says that when she looked upon the fruit and saw that it was desirable, that it was good for wisdom, that it was pleasing to the eye, there was something that captivated her imagination coupled with the idea that the enemy is looking at her and saying, it's all good, you're not gonna die. God didn't mean that. And so she eats and she gives it to Adam and he eats. I want you to know, especially if you're taking notes this morning, immaturity says, I want what I can't have. Maturity says, I'm content with what God permits me to have. That was on TV and that'd be like $40. Just so you know, but it's free today. Immaturity says, I want what I can't have. Maturity says I'm content with what God permits me to have. See, sometimes we get this idea of free will twisted and we believe that we have liberty in every area uh, of our lives. And I guess to some extent that that's true, but as soon as that liberty takes you into sin, you violated the parameters in which God has set up to protect you and keep you under his covering of blessing and favor and provision and safety and security. And so when you step out of that, operating under the liberty that you believe you have, you remove the covering that says, you know what, this was where the place of safety was for my life. And so she eats and he eats. And the Bible says immediately following that, that her eyes were open, that his eyes were open. And for the first time, they looked upon each other and understood that we're naked. Like, I can imagine that first experience. Like, right? Like, you got to cover up. They were ashamed. They were embarrassed. For the first time, they experienced an emotion of conviction, which brought about guilt and shame. Understand that those are not necessarily always negative emotions when they drive you to the feet of Jesus. See, understand this, conviction from the Holy Spirit will always drive you to the feet of Jesus. Rather, condemnation from the enemy will always force you to hide. See, when we mess up and we fall short, which we all will, Every single day, the options exist. You either run to God or you run from God. See, conviction is the measure of grace that brings you to the feet of Jesus. But Eve and Adam, they tested God on his word. They listened to the enemy where he said, the deception, you will not surely die. See, the danger in deception is it lulls you into a false sense that the consequence of my actions won't be as bad as I think or that I have been told. And in this case, Adam and Eve were 100% wrong. They listened to the voice of an enemy rather than the voice of their creator. And that's why it's so crucial that you gain an understanding that the enemy will attack here so that he can get you to fall from God's word and not live up to the standard that it creates. So they tested God on his word. You know, the Bible says things like the wages of sin is is death. But I love the secondary part of that verse. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Understand this, that sin uh, sin can and often does have generational consequences. Adam and Eve's sin caused all of us to sin because of it, we are born under a curse of sin. Do you know how I know that? I never had to teach my children to lie. Has anybody ever set their kid down and said, listen, when you get in trouble, all you have to do is say something that's not true, right? Did anybody ever do that? I I don't think so. I can't see every hand, but I'm assuming that nobody's raising their hand. You know why? Because it's instinctual inside of us to self-preserve. If we can avoid the consequences and pain that comes from our poor decision-making, then 100% of the time, if we're not honoring God and his word, we will do it. 
So now Silas will automatically blame his sister. And Addie will look at him and say, it wasn't me, it was you. And they will constantly go back and forth. And Monica and I have to sit down and we have to decipher the truth from them. Because what, they re- what, what they've come to realize is that the consequence is either you won't watch TV, you don't get any dessert, and you might have to go to bed early. The go to bed early one really works. They feel like you've like locked them in prison. Like you have to go to your room with all your toys. You have to stay in there. They feel like it's prison. It's fantastic. <laughs> Parenting one on one. I haven't got to teach any marriage stuff lately, you know. <laughs> See, sin is birthed out of what I can't have and what I think will make my life better. The, understand this the history of every temptation and of every sin is the exact same. The outward object of attraction, and in this case, the Adam and Eve uh, fruit incident, right? She looked upon it, he looked upon it, it was beautiful, it was desirable, and they wanted to eat it. The inward commotion of mind, now they have this wrestling that they have to reason through. Should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? What's going to happen if I do this? What's not going to happen if I do this? Who am I going to make mad? What's my life going to look like after this? They have this inward turmoil that then takes place. Then they have the increase and triumph of the passionate desire. When they finally give in and they get what they want, and that passionate desire ends in the degradation, slavery, and ruin of their soul. Because they gave in to what they thought they wanted and what they thought they needed, only to discover that the thing that they pursued after was actually the thing that would be their ruin. Does that make sense? So it says that they sewed clothes for themselves. They looked upon themselves and they said they were naked. So they went and hid and they created clothes. I want to know who taught Eve and Adam how to sew. But somebody did. They were, they were fashioning clothes to cover themselves. So they sewed clothes for themselves. And understand it's because they were ashamed that they were naked. I find it interesting that their first instinct was not to reconcile themselves to God, but to try to show that they were reconciled to themselves and to one another. They were so ashamed, not towards God yet, but they looked upon each other and said, we've got to put some coverings over ourselves to try to make it better between each other. See, their remedy for their shame wasn't sufficient to cover their sin. There was nothing about what they, co- they sewed together for themselves that was going to fix what that took place moments ago in the garden. They were experiencing all of these new emotions, all of these new thoughts, all of these new feelings. And, and in that, they looked and said, we're naked. And they ran and they hid and they covered themselves, not to honor God, but to try to make it appear like they had fixed the problem themselves. And I think we all know the story. It did not fix anything. See, when our eyes are open to the sin of our lives, we become postured for the correction. And from the place of correction, we can then move into true discipleship. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as we move forward. But I, I had this thought as I was reading through this story and as I was studying and prepping this message you know, why, why did Adam and Eve hide? I mean, they were, they were created by God. They had this unbroken relationship with God. And yet they disobey God and they sin. And the first thing they do is they run, they hide, they cover themselves. You know, and Scripture gives us insight. It says that fear had seized them. because they knew that they had done something wrong, right? I think we're always aware when we sin. At least I know I am, for the most part, unless I'm just doing something stupid and I'm like, oh, I didn't mean that. Which youth pastor, that happens. But when we become aware of our sin, we must make our next move very carefully. See, Adam and Eve had two options, and you and I have two options. We either run from God because we fear God in an unhealthy way, or we run to God and we fall and we repent. 
You know, as I was studying this, I came across some interesting commentary on this particular story. And across the board, everyone, every commentary I read indicated that they ran and hid because they were fearful. But I think we have to step back and we have to ask ourselves, what were they fearful of? Because up until this moment, they had never encountered the, the, the just side of God. See, I will tell you this morning that they hid in part because they did not yet understand the God's gracious and merciful nature. See, I want you to get this morning that through Christ, we don't have to hide from him. We don't have to run from him. We don't have to isolate away from him. We don't have to live in our guilt, our shame, our pain, our emotion, our struggle, our problem. The enemy would like nothing more than to move us away from the grace and mercy of God. And he would like to remind us how angry and upset and mad God is. But we must simply go to God with a heart of repentance. See, when we sin, emotions like fear and even at times paranoia set in. We may even say something to the effect of, I can't believe I got away with it looking over our shoulder, wondering when everything's going to fall apart. I want to jump back to verse 8. Because it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. But they hid from the Lord, God, among the trees of the garden. I find it interesting that there's nothing about the nature of God as we've come to discover him in Genesis 3 that is changing. See, if you're like me, and maybe you are, maybe you aren't, when I see something that I don't like, if I see something that upsets me, my personality may change a little bit. I may get a little bit more angry or agitated. I may get frustrated. I may quicken my pace to try to head off the problem so that it doesn't continue, but there's nothing we discover in verse 8 that indicates that God was moved by what Adam and Eve did in a way that causes him to act out of character. I want you to understand that today, and I want to parallel that with what we discover in Jesus in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, because it speaks of him as a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, in this verse, God remains steady. He doesn't break routine. He doesn't come at them angry, rushing to fix their mistake. He remains constant, unmoved, and unshaken by the recent, recent tragic event in that garden. See, our tendency when confronted with sin, crisis, or conflict is to lash out, lose peace, and break character. But we never see once in any area of Scripture where God does that. He remains a steady, constant who has everything under control. Do you know that there's so much peace in that this morning? There's so much peace in knowing that God is not moved uh, by what I'm going through, but rather he's the remedy for my issue. See, for them, the voice that used to be so welcomed by them became the fear that plagued them, so they hid and when confronted for the first time with all of these new emotions, the instinct to self-preserve kicked in. How foolish it is for us to run from the God who created us and knows us. Psalm 139 verses 1 through 12 says this. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my laying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. 
Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, excuse me, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light as you. Let's finish with two more verses. For you created me in my innermost being, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 14, as we close that out, says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know them full well. He knows us. He doesn't just know the good things about us either. He knows our tendencies. He knows how we think. He knows how we function. He knows everything about us. The psalmist is essentially saying, where can I go that you don't already know about? How can I get away from you? And he's determining that, you know what, I can't. And I tell you that this morning, and I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with. But what I want you to understand is you don't have to hide from God. Because even in your perception of hiding, he's already searched you. And he knows exactly what you're dealing with. And when you discover that, what you'll, you'll come to find is that he's not angry with you. Rather, he wants to remedy the struggle that you're dealing with so that you can be brought back into right relationship with him. See, verse 9 says, But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? See, that phrase, where are you, should be a point of reflection to the heart of the individual who has sinned against God. And as much as the question points to a physical place, God, through the Holy Spirit, invites us to examine where we are spiritually. One of the best things you can ever do as a believer is to periodically, I would actually go as far as to say regularly, step back from what you're doing and ask the Holy Spirit to search you and bring things to the surface that you may not even be aware of that either aren't pleasing for, to him or things that he knows aren't beneficial to you. You know, there are some things in this world that aren't necessarily bad. They're just not beneficial to you and where you are wanting to go. They're not overtly sinful. They just aren't bringing you closer to your relationship with him and the purpose in which you were created. And you have to be willing in those moments to acknowledge them and lay those aside if what God has called you to do matters at a greater level than the thing that you're having to lay down. And he asks them, he calls out in the garden, he says, where are you? And if you picture this couple who has never seen this side of God, who's never had the, their eyes opened to, to sin, has never experienced these emotions, at any point, probably hiding in these trees in this, this shrubbery of this garden, trembling, fearful, because they don't know yet how God's going to respond. I don't know why I stapled this. We jump down in the story to verse 10 through 12, and what we discover is a half-truth that turns into a whole lie. I call this an evasive omission. And in this, you know, he answered, I said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And verse 11 says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to not, uh, not to eat from? And the guy's like, okay, I got to figure out how to get out of this. And instinctually, maybe, he's like, it's this woman's fault. He, already, he got, not only is he now in hot water with God, but that woman's like, wait a second. You were here too, buddy. And verse 12 says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. That's not really the totality of the story. 
But yet Adam thinks that in his mind, if I pass the buck and I blame Eve, then this will at least go better for me than it might for her, and I might be able to get out of this. Understand that a half-truth is still a whole lie. A well-crafted excuse is a poor substitute for authentic, transparent honesty. True repentance requires us to be brutally honest with the state of our sin. Right? We must go before the Lord and allow him to expose us so that he can then begin to heal us. But if we remain guarded with the things that we are dealing with and going through, then the true healing that needs to take place in our life can never come to pass because God will only go as deep into your life as you permit him to go. He's a gentleman in that. He'll never force himself into places that you've not permitted him. And sometimes in our hiding, in the walling off of the deeper parts of our lives, the hurts, the pains, the struggles, the issues, we sacrifice the healing that God needs to do because we're not ready to accept perhaps the pain that may come with it. But I have such good news because the God we serve is such a careful surgeon that when he begins to deal with the issues of our heart and of our life, he does it in this beautiful way that cuts out the things that don't belong while preserving the things that need to remain. Amen? You with me this morning? You alive and awake? Yes. Amen, there we go. So my question to you is, what are you turning to? See, sin came through Adam and Eve. A curse fell upon all life and separation from God became a reality. If you've ever been to Sunday school at any length, you've known that. That's a story you're all familiar with. But know this. Sin has consequences and sin is damaging, but also understand that there is no sin that Jesus can't forgive. See, when we turn to him rather than run and hide from him, we receive grace and mercy. Romans 5, 12 through 21 speaks that how the first Adam came and how he sinned and how this whole world was put under a curse. But through Jesus, also called the second Adam, came and did away with all of that through the cross. See, death through Adam is life through Christ. Amen? I want to tell you this morning as we get ready to wrap up that you don't have to run. You don't have to hide. You know, Genesis is one of my favorite books of the Bible because we begin to understand glimpses of the nature and character of God. It's our first opportunity to gain insight into who he is and kind of start peeling back some of the layers that make up this infinite, all-powerful God that we serve. And, and I'm, I know as well as you do that we're just barely scratching the surface of who he is, right? Like, there should never be a moment of our life where we sit back and say, I know him, and there's nothing more to ever know about him. We would be foolish to ever think that. But as we discover Genesis, what we find, especially in chapter 3, is although man screwed up and we sinned and we fell short and we ate and we were naked and we tried to fix the problem of our, on ourselves and we failed, kind of like we do today where we try to fix the problems on our own and we fail miserably at it, what we discover is a steady God who already has a remedy for the problem in mind. That should bring such peace to us today. See, this sermon isn't designed to beat you up. Because if I know anything from Scripture, it's that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all have something, right? And worship team, if you want to come. We all have something. But we also have a God that we can turn to, run to, cling to. So my question as we wrap up this morning is, why are you hiding? Adam and Eve, in part, hid because they didn't understand his merciful, gracious nature. But I want you to know this morning that you don't have to run and you don't have to hide. But if you are going to run, 
I want you to run to Matthew chapter 11. Verses 28 and 29. If you're going to run, if you feel like you've got to run somewhere because your sin is so great. You know, I remember, and I don't know if your kids ever did this, but I remember as a kid, if I would get hurt, like I felt like after I got hurt, if I just ran around the house or ran around something like and kept running till it didn't hurt anymore, I would somehow be better. And so I have vivid memories of like falling down, hurting myself. And rather than like being consoled and be like, you know, help, I would just take off running until I didn't hurt anymore, till the problem went away. And I want to tell you this morning, if you got to run, if you've got to go somewhere, if you've got to just get out because the weight of the sin is so much, if the pain, the guilt, the shame, the unconfessed, whatever, the unforgiveness or whatever it is, if you've got to run, I want to tell you to run into the arms of Jesus. Matthew chapter 11 says this, verses 28 and 29, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30 says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you have to run somewhere this morning, please do me a favor and run to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Because what you'll discover is a God that's not has his back turned from you. Is a God, you're, you'll discover a God who's not put his hands up to stop you, but rather you'll find a God who is open-armed and saying, you know what, my shoulders are much more broad than yours. So why don't you give me the stuff you're carrying and let me carry it so that you can go free. I hope you're understanding me this morning. See, Adam and Eve didn't understand this. And they ran and they hid from God and they isolated and they turned away. But you don't have to do that this morning because we have a further picture. We have a greater understanding than they had in that moment of the God we serve. We have a better picture of his character and nature than they had in that garden. It says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you have to run this morning, run to Matthew chapter 28. And if you're going to hide, if you feel like you just got to get somewhere outside of it, if you feel like you just need to get away from it, if you're going to hide, I want you to hide in Psalm 91.1. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. If you got to hide, why don't you hide under his shadow. Why don't you run to his presence and why don't you hide in him? John says that we need to abide in him. So you have the benefit of a better picture this morning through Christ. So I want to do this this morning. I want you to stand to your feet. Your God called out, where are you? And I just hear in my spirit this morning that God is crying out for somebody. He's saying, where are you? What's going on in your life? What are you dealing with? What are you battling? What are you facing? What's growing in your heart? What lie has the enemy told you that you're believing? What struggle do you think you can't overcome? Maybe that's what you're running from. Maybe that's what you're hiding from. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to an altar. Prayer team, if you want to get ready to move out. But I'm going to invite you because I believe when we move out, we're making a prophetic declaration that says, you know what, I could stay here, but I'm stepping towards your presence in a way that says I'm serious about what I'm after at an altar. The altar is not a walk of shame. It's not this, this place of judgment where we all look down upon you. It's this place that says this place is for my freedom, for my healing, for my deliverance, for my salvation, and for my empowerment. Because when I move, he moves. So if you're in this place this morning and maybe you've been running, maybe you've been hiding, maybe you've buried some things deep and you've not even shared them with your loved ones, you've not talked to anybody about them, but there's hurts in there, there's unforgiveness in there, there's issues that are going on in there. And although physically you're not hiding, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, you've walled yourself off. 
You've put on a fake face. You've put on that fake smile. But on the inside, you're broken, hurting. If that's you, on the count of three, I want you to find a place at this altar. I'm going to come through. We're going to pray over you this morning. Our prayer team is available on the sides. You'll see them over there on the sides. Go find somebody. Let them pray with you. Let them come into agreement with you that the things that you're struggling with, dealing with, you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to run anymore. But that Jesus is here to set you free. Worship team is going to lead us this morning. On the count of three, I want you to come. One, two, three. Come and find somebody to pray with. Oh, yes, Jesus. Oh, yes, Jesus. Oh, come today. You will rescue me underneath your yes. wings. I'll find refuge and strength. My God, whom I trust. Oh, yes, Jesus. You will set me free. And I will stand and sing my refuge and strength. My God, whom I trust. Oh, yes, Father. Oh, come this morning. Let him love on you. Let him heal you. I will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day. Or the evil that comes and stalks in the darkness, or the plague that may come in midst. Oh, yes, Jesus. A thousand may fall at my side, ten thousand are at my right hand. You, you will observe with your eyes. never too late don't wait another minute to rest in his love don't wait another minute to rest in his love yes Jesus oh that we would come to you we would come to you father hear the Holy Spirit saying this morning that I'm going to begin to restore the things that the enemy has robbed you of. I'm going to give back to you tenfold, a hundredfold the things that the enemy has robbed you of. I don't know who that's for this morning, but you feel like you've you've been everything's been taken from you. Life situations have come up, uh, uh, marriage situations have come up, and you've felt like you've sacrificed everything. Like the enemy has taken everything from you. And I just hear the Holy Spirit saying that I'm going to begin to restore what the enemy has taken from you in greater measure. Can we just receive that today in worship? Come on. Yes. Oh, yes, Jesus. Yes. Is there, is there somebody in here that has had uh, something happen with their hearing in the last, last few months or six months that you've been uh, 
you felt like your ears have been plugged or there's been, you've even think, thought about going to get tests? Is there somebody over here? Can, is it okay if we, we pray over you, lay hands on you? I can't see who that is, but if you guys see over here on the right side, somebody, is anybody else with hearing? I specifically feel like God's going to heal hearing loss today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Amen. Jesus. Amen. Yep, come on up. Pastor Jordan's right there by you. Thank you, Jesus. made a way where there was no way in Jesus. Open up our ears to hear your truth right now. Jehovah Rapha, you're our healer. You're healing right now. Open up. feel led that to have just a couple. I know it can turn into a long thing, but I just feel like a couple of you should share a testimony. I know that's kind of old school and can be scary, so I'll try to keep it under two minutes uh, when you come up. But, you know, just praying for her ear, she said instantly she had hearing loss. I'll share a test, or not loss, hear, ringing, and uh, I'll share a testimony. A couple years ago, I was ministering at a church, um, I think on a Sunday night. And there was a prophetic word like that spoken about, I said, God's healing somebody who just got um, hearing aids. And right now your ears are in. This man runs up from the back and he had like major hearing loss where he could not hear at all, in particular out of his right ear. And uh, he had him and he took, he took him out. And I remember talking to him and then, you know, I backed way up, I mean like 40 feet and you know, said, said a couple numbers and told him, and he was shocked. He couldn't believe it. He's like, I can hear. He was amazing. Uh, and then I saw him at Walmart, Pastor Andrew, a month later, and he goes, dude, you saved me 50 bucks. I said, what? He goes, yeah, my insurance co-pays $50 on those hearing aids, and I returned them the next day. <laughs> I was like, well, I didn't save you 50, but God saved me $50. But, anyway, but, <laughs> but um, I, you guys know God still heals, right? Amen. Okay, I don't know if you, we believe that, Rocker Grace, and we see that. And I just feel like there's a couple of you that should come testify. Um, come on up, all right? You don't, I don't need me to look at you and give you a thus saith the Lord or anything. Just come on up. If you just feel like God, you know, God did touch my, my life today or last week or a couple weeks ago. I know there was three people healed of their uh, smell and taste, and they were texting me. It's really cool. But anybody that uh, wants to come up, yeah, thank you, Shane. Come on. Come on down. The price is it's free, actually. <laughs> Ministry is free. Come on. <laughs> yeah, a couple weeks ago, um, Pastor Jordan said that, uh, is there anyone that lost their sense of smell through the COVID virus? Well, in December, I had lost taste and smell. So he had people praying for um, those that had raised their hand. And by Monday night, I not only received um, my smell back, but also my taste back. So yeah. it was really a miracle. For eight months, I had neither. And what's one of your favorite, just for fun? You know God You know God cares, right? Turn your neighbors and say, God cares. All right, so what's one of your most favorite foods that you got your taste back that you're like, I'm going to thank God for that? Well... A couple months ago, I tried a peppermint patty that I like. I couldn't taste it, smell it, nothing. And, you know, they're powerful. Well, Sunday after they prayed for me, I went out into um, the side yard to get in the car. And um, a lady came up to me, Jane Ann Mason, 
She had this little peppermint patty in her hand. I mean, I haven't talked to Jane Ann in uh, a while. And she said, here, I have a peppermint patty. I said, well, thanks, you know. And as I'm going to my car, I opened it up, and uh, I could smell it a little bit. And I had felt something break within my nose when they had prayed for me over here that morning. And uh, by Monday night, I had it all back. Amen. So cool. Come on, a couple more people. Give you just a minute. I won't, uh, we won't embarrass you. Yeah, come on. Um, I had motion sickness really bad from a young child. And even going a short distance, it really was nauseating. And it was so that it was, I could not travel. And um, my daughter got married, and they asked me to go on trips with them. And um, I, even thinking of like going to South Carolina, now we're talking like 12 hours, is like, oh no. Well, the Lord healed me of that. And now I go on trips with them, and I get to so enjoy them so much. And what a blessing it's been in my life. I'm so That is awesome. How about one more? Oh, you guys all know Carrie? Hi. Uh, Hi the great thing about God is he not only restores our sickness, but he restores our finances. And my husband and I haven't got a tax refund in like eight years. And it was just a big mess. And we finally hired a tax lawyer. And, did all of these things and Noelle called me like three weeks ago and she's like I just need you to prophesy over my life and I was like okay I can do that and we just began to pray and intercede and she's like I want to prophesy over your life and I was like okay and I was like our finances like we just need God to like move and two days later we received $10,000 into our account. And then two days after that, we received another $2,800 into our account. And then a week later, $6,800. Who would like Carrie to pray for you right now? <laughs> just line up, just line up right here. And so like in a matter of two weeks, $20,000 was put in our account. And God's like, just wait, because there's more. And so we just have to step in and say, God, I trust you. I trust you in the things that we're waiting for, because he's that kind of God, because he loves us. And it's just exciting to see what he wants to do. So cool. So cool. All right. Well, hey, listen, we are just so thankful for God's goodness. And, you know, you may not, I know most people, it's really scary to get in front of people. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. If God has done something just really cool in your life, right, a specific prayer you were asking for, and it's like, man, he just came through. Maybe find someone either today in the church or, you know, at your place of work would be really awesome too. And just tell them. Tell him. Tell him what God is doing. And aren't you so thankful for Pastor Andrew and what he pulled out of Genesis today? Come on. Can we give him a big hand? You know, we were, we were laughing on our way in. I said, I feel like God is just really challenging our church lately. And he's like, it's going to be another challenging one. I'm like, amen. And uh, how many know that God, God teaches us and he corrects us? Why? Because he loves us. Amen. All right, turn your neighbor and say he loves you. Have a great week, guys.